This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employers respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast. And hear from the minds transforming healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more with the help of AI. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, March is Tripod Month, my friend, and you know what that means. Yes, that means it's time to let people know about your favorite podcasts just to share the sheer joy of podcast listening. That's right. It's T-R-Y pod. Still a nascent industry. A lot of people don't know what podcasts are. Right. And it helps everybody out if you would go out and just say, hey, family member who I see at Thanksgiving once a year. Right. You should try out this thing called a podcast. Here's what they are. Here's a cool show you should try. And here's how to get it. Yeah. And it doesn't have to be our show. Just any podcast you like in general that you think someone else would like, just share it. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, get on board the tripod train. (laughs) Welcome to Stuff You Should Know from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh Clark, and there's Charles W. Chuck Bryant. Say hi. Hello. And there's Jerry. Jerry, say hi. Uh, Jerry can't talk because the tape is still holding after all these years. Yeah, it's amazing. Well, at any rate, it's stuff you should know. <laughs> that tape has gotten kind of gross. There's like <laughs> yeah. hair stuck to it and we everything. Should, we should swap it out every now and then. She screams, though, every time we do. Well, the the little slit that we have cut so she can drink her miso through a straw is uh-huh. really getting gamey. Yeah, it is. <laughs> I think some of that miso has a little bit of meat in it. Oh. You didn't like that one, huh? No. Well, I find that satisfying. Um, I find it ironic that we're um, podcasting today on this fast thing because I am, I've had the lowest energy today of <laughs> yeah. any day I can think of in a long time. They need to bring Surge back just for days like today, man, because I would strongly recommend you drink a Surge brand beverage i'm not into those things dude surge was so good i'm I'm just i'm not into any of them but i've had i've tried one once when i was super low energy i'm not gonna name it but um (laughs) yeah it made me feel like i was gonna have a heart attack oh yeah it's like this doesn't feel good no no not at all so what about coffee you've been drinking coffee lately right have you fallen off of that i've fallen off but i did i had a a triple this morning whoa uh triple espresso latte that's why you feel low energy right now. You're crashing, man. Well, I was I was low before and low after, so it's oh, kind of yeah. just the thing. Are you okay? I'm fine. Personal okay. problems <laughs> that I don't feel like telling a million people about. Do we have a million listeners? Oh, I don't know. Who knows? Let's say what's let's, a listener? What's a download? Right? Are these bots? Who knows? No one knows. Well, that's good. That was a nice conversation. <laughs> Well, I'm I'm super hyped up, Chuck, and oh, you good. want to know why? Because uh, you had a surge energy drink? I didn't, no, because l- literally every project that Elon Musk has his hands on, mm-hmm. I am jazzed about. <laughs> he was, uh, in our short-lived television show, supposedly he was your man crush hero idol. Yes, yeah, and actually it has grown exponentially since then. Like the more I found out about him, yeah. the more I actually have come to I think he's a pretty cool dude. Let's would, put it like that. Would you uh have such a crush on him if his name was like, you know, Bill <laughs> Burles? <laughs> I actually have a crush on a guy named Bill Burles. <laughs> All right. So, yes. All right. I just no, think I, Elon Musk sounds so, you know, exotic and James Bondy. Oh, it definitely does. He definitely has one of those guns that slides out of his sleeve when <laughs> yeah. he needs it. But he can sure. always talk his way out of anything. That's his real. But it shoots kisses. <laughs> right. <laughs> 
So anyway, I, I'm not the only one. Um, Yumi actually loves the guy a lot too. I'm sure you got to watch out for that though. Sure. Uh, yeah, well, it's it's like a nice, respectful love from a distance. So I'm not yeah. threatened by it. Just you know? don't let them in a room together ever. Right. <laughs> she has this T-shirt. Um, it says "Save Us, Elon," which is pretty cool. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. And she tweeted to him last night, actually, um, oh, asking him to design. <laughs> Well, it was on behalf of our dog Momo. Uh-huh. She was asking him to, to design um, safe dog cars f- or safe dog seats for cars, specifically Teslas, to start. I think they have dog restraining systems that are you're supposed to use. They do, but I mean, imagine if Elon Musk put his like even a, a half of a, a percentage of right. his brain toward designing something like that just on the back of a cocktail napkin it'd be awesome yeah momo would be in a like a plasma bag <laughs> right with like one of those hannibal lecter masks <laughs> she'd look so cute oh boy so i bring up elon musk though because um well we're talking about one of his <laughs> projects but technically it's not actually one of his projects because this the hyperloop was um Basically, a concept that he thought of, yeah. wrote a 57-page white paper on it, just roughly outlining some of the challenges, the problems, and then did something really unusual, especially for massive transportation projects, which is what the Hyperloop is. He open-sourced it. He said, here you go, everybody. Let's see what you can do with it. Somebody take this and run with it. He's kind of big on that, though, right? Uh, yeah, I think, though, that... Um, yeah, I don't think he did that with like Tesla um, or SpaceX or anything like that. I think that's all very like private and hush hush. This one was, this was like, here's a really good idea. Here is how you would do it. Somebody go do it. He, it, it, yeah, this is unusual. I think even for him, he uh, he open sourced something. I can't remember. What, maybe it was the uh, the the home battery system or something. Oh yeah. Yeah, maybe he open sources things that he doesn't feel like he can make a lot of dough on. Well, I don't know that battery thing. He said that um, I think he's going to use that to solve Australia's um, black and brownout problems. Oh yeah, yeah. All right. Well, who knows? I, I just like that he does that occasionally. Yeah, no, that's what I'm saying. Cool cat. Yeah. Agreed. So let's talk hyperloop. You want to? Yeah. So the idea here uh, originally. And I've kind of learned to through reading this. We're going to talk a little bit about his um, his boring company, pun intended. <laughs> yeah. Um, as well at the end, but um, I've learned that when Elon Musk gets irritated with something, <laughs> good things happen. <laughs> right. If if he has a problem and he's like, you know, I'm tired of sitting in traffic, or flying from L.A. to San Francisco is a real drag. Uh, he gets that cocktail, fifty-seven pages of cocktail napkins. Right. And he said, you know what? How about if we developed a, a high-speed transpo system? Forget your maglevs. Those only go, I know you're building one in California for $60 billion, but that thing only goes 200 miles an hour. It's not even maglev. It's just a straight-up bullet train. Oh, it's not even, uh, oh, I thought it was a maglev. No. No, no, it's a, it's a, he, he called it the, um, like world's slowest high-speed train or something like At that. 200 miles an hour. <laughs> right. Right, which I mean, two hundred miles an hour—that's super fast. How how could you possibly improve on that? Well, by putting people in a pod in a tube and shooting them at almost Mach one <laughs> in twenty-three minutes. Oh, I'm sorry, thirty-five minutes from L.A. to San Francisco, or vice versa. Yeah, that's and, the- and I know he wants Mach one so bad. Yeah, I don't know what the problem is. I I, I don't know if um like the the sonic boom would throw off the whole thing, the whole um, closed system. You mean make it cooler? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it definitely would. But uh, he, in the, in his white paper, he makes reference to the shockwaves that are created as you get close to the speed of sound. Yeah, and the the supersonic threshold. And I was reading um, the right stuff that Tom Wolf book about the the early oh, yeah. um, space program, right? Great. And he was talking about Chuck Yeager when he broke the speed of sound. Um, they had no idea what happened on the other side of a sonic boom. No one had ever gone that fast, right? Uh-huh. And it was Jaeger who figured out that 
he was just sure that once you hit sonic boom, everything would smooth out. But the the closer and closer and closer you got to the sonic threshold, the harder it was for to for to keep the plane stable. He said it felt like it was going to break up. His teeth were like breaking off into little pieces. Um, so I would imagine that if you're doing that inside a closed an enclosed tube, yeah, and you start to hit those same kind of shock waves, it would it would screw things up. So I would guess that's why they're they're not taking it to supersonic level. Gotcha. So there, it's a purposeful thing. Um, uh-uh. I did look into Mach 1, and apparently it varies. I, I never realized that. Um, we should do something on that at some point. Mach 1 varies? Yeah, it, it depends on the local conditions, um, mm. like mainly temperature and air pressure. I see. Uh, as to how fast you need to be going. I mean, it's generally in that wheelhouse of 760 to, you know, I'm not sure how high, but I saw 767. Uh, and it just depends sort of where you are, the object speed uh, as it relates to the conditions. Right. Which is interesting. I got you. Well, that's one of the benefits of, of this Hyperloop that he's proposed is it's, it's enclosed. It's encapsulated. It's a, mm-hmm. uh, um, it's a closed system, which means that it can be controlled, right? So you can control everything from the temperature to the air pressure to all that stuff, which we'll get into. Yes. But the, the, the Hyperloop, we, I guess we should say, is, um, this proposal for the line, like you said, from LA to San Francisco. And it's two tubes side by side. They're actually welded together, but they are separate that, um, form this closed system. On either end is a, um, a way for the cars to go one way, turn around and go back the other way. And like you said, it takes 35 minutes to, 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 for this, this, Journey, a one-way journey. I don't even but, know if you call that a journey. Uh, a uh, what would you call it? Uh, just a a yow. <laughs> <laughs> oh, hey, hey, hey. <laughs> <laughs> so it's whatever it is. It takes thirty-five minutes to go three hundred and fifty miles, which yeah. is five hundred sixty-three kilometers. We should say hello, rest of the world. <laughs> uh, and he proposed initially that this thing would only cost about six billion dollars, which. Yeah. The entire world scoffed at that more than I think they scoffed at any other part of the plan. Um, I mean, you know, people were like, first of all, this train that we're building in California is 60, 60 billion. Mm-hmm. And the Bay Bridge in San Francisco, we're just, we're just redoing that thing for six billion for the yeah. same price that you think you can build this George Jetson machine. Right. Uh, but you know, who knows? We'll see. Yeah. What it ends up costing, but six billion dollars sounds like a ton of money. Um, the thing that shocked me, I think, well, first of all, let's not ruin the price tag just yet. Okay. Um, except to say that it's shocking. <laughs> but, uh, so, so what you would do is you would, you would have this tube mounted on these pylons. Mm-hmm. Uh, the pylons are about, they're reinforced concrete. They're about a hundred feet apart from one another and they vary in height because, of uh, the train, you know, he's going to run along I-5. Yeah, right down the median as, as long as possible. Or as they call it in Los Angeles, the five. <laughs> oh. uh, and it would be, you know, it'd vary in height, 20 feet, 50 feet, 100 feet, depending on the terrain. And um, part of the reason they put it on the five was because it just makes sense because there's already, already a highway there. They wouldn't have to, like, you know, buy people out of their homes and businesses mm-hmm. to build it. And um, I like to think another reason is so they could just, Make fun of people sitting in traffic. <laughs> right. When this thing, when you hear that sonic boom as it goes by. Yeah. Um, the other thing about the pylons too is it, it has a much, it creates a much, um, smaller footprint on the actual ground. Yeah. Um, because the whole thing's raised up in the air and those pylons are, they're going to be 20 feet wherever possible. It's going to be about the average height off of the ground yeah. of the hyperloop. Earthquake proof, supposedly, which is a big deal. Yeah. There's going to be dampers in the pylons, um, so that it could take a pretty, pretty decent sized earthquake. And then uh, I guess the, just the whole process of running this system will cause some expansion and contraction. And so the whole thing's, it's got to be pretty well, um, Together. Yeah. You know? <laughs> I would think so. You can't make it loosey goosey. So, um, <laughs> the, the, any, any movement is going to be, um, compensated for in these dampers in the pylons. Any sway, any up and down, any yeah. barrel rolls, any of that stuff. Yeah. I'm sure that was, uh, I mean, besides the, the, the movement, but just building 
something that travels that fast full of people mm-hmm. along the fault lines out there is that was probably a very early consideration. Like, sure. am I just stupid for even, but then he went, Oh no, I'm Elon Musk. I'm, I'm Elon Musk. <laughs> so when he first started, uh, I guess what the people like Elon Musk would call blue sky territory, people started throwing out ideas. He assembled a team and they were like, Hey, you remember those, uh, cool pneumatic tubes and offices? Sometimes you got to look backwards, you know, at old technology. Yeah. To realize that you're wrong. <laughs> and they had these fans that would shoot, you know, a letter from floor to floor through a tube. So satisfying. Oh, man, those are the best. It's the same thing that they use um, when you do a drive through banking thing. Yeah, which, does anyone do that anymore? Sure. <laughs> All right. I can't remember the last time I went to a bank. I do. I, I'm like, I've got too much gasoline in my car. I need to get rid of some of it. And I need to bank. And a, so lolly, gonna, and a lollipop. <laughs> right, I'm going to combine those two. So uh they had that idea to use these giant fans. And he said, you know, I don't know if he personally said this, but they basically said, not a bad idea. It is possible to, to build a, a fan that large, but over 350 miles, that's going to create a lot of friction with this thing. And it would explode <laughs> you know something interesting is somebody actually created that very system in london in 1864 and exploded it, it didn't explode it, it ran for a year apparently without major problems it's called the crystal palace pneumatic railway oh, i think i've heard of that the thing is is it it wasn't trying to go a thousand kilometers an hour right sure it was just putzing along like isn't the future amazing yeah, we're in yeah. a pneumatic railway but it i mean it worked right so it it had actually that had worked but for what the hyperloop is trying to be pneumatic just it wouldn't work it would it would just create too much drag pushing a column of air 350 miles too much friction too much friction yeah so the pneumatic one he said, nah, we're not doing that. Uh, by the way, that made me think the exploding thing. Did you know that cars don't really explode? Like a what car are, on fire? Oh, yeah. I think there's a lot of like safety features that keep it from doing that, right? No. It's just gasoline just doesn't explode like that. Oh. It, it can catch fire very fast and cause a big fire very quickly. But it's not like a movie where a car catches on fire and then goes boom really loud. Yeah, I feel like Chuck Norris really misled me all these years. <laughs> well, in many, many ways. But uh, I saw a car, it made me think of it because I saw a car on fire the other day on the highway and uh, the people were running away from it, and which is, you know, it's probably not a bad idea anyway. Right, yeah. But um, I, lo- I was kind of curious, so I looked it up and apparently that doesn't happen. So I, if my car is ever on fire, I'm just going to like stand right next to it like right. the coolest dude in the world. You just light a cigarette off right. of it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And you're like, I don't even smoke. But I'm not recommending that. I would still get away from a burning car if I were you, people. <laughs> COA time. <laughs> That's sage advice. Uh, so anyway, um, the other, they came up with another idea and they said, well, you know, we mentioned maglev trains. They said, That's a pretty good idea to get trains to go fast. And we did a, we did a whole episode on that, right? Yeah, we did a maglev episode. It was pretty good. Yeah. And I think when we did the maglev episode, everybody's like, you have to do a Hyperloop episode. So oh. here you go, everybody. Well, it was probably good that we did it years later, you know. Yeah. Um, and, you know, maglev, when you when you put two magnets together uh, in the correct way, they will either snap together or they mm-hmm. will have that, um, you know, they will push each other apart. And we right. also did one on magnets. Uh, so refer to that for, for that magic explanation. <laughs> but um, the idea is that there, you, what you create is no friction, right? And there's a couple of problems. We talked about drag and friction, or we're going to talk about drag. But those are sort of the two issues with the hyperloop. Those are the things that will make something slow down, right? And there's like really no problem with the maglev train, except that it's extraordinarily expensive to build track, right? So yeah. Musk was like, well, we could, maybe we could put a maglev train in this uh, tube in the Hyperloop. Yeah, because there's drag even on a maglev train, but in a sure. vacuum, there would not be. No, but that's what he was saying is, okay, well, we could put it in a vacuum and it would just go zoom and you'd be there in like half of a second. The problem is, is it would be extraordinarily expensive yeah. um, to build and operate. 
And the reason it would be so expensive to operate is because the closer and closer you get to creating a full or perfect vacuum, the more expensive the pumping operation gets, right? So, you know, if you're like, uh, if you're one or two percent away from a a perfect vacuum, you're spending five bucks pumping out the, the air to get to that point. But it's say, a hundred trillion dollars to get to a perfect vacuum. I don't think that those numbers are accurate, but <laughs> you get the picture, right? Well, yeah, and the other thing too is it's it's nearly impossible to create something over that distance. Uh, Musk himself even said, if there's one small leaky seal or small right. crack anywhere in that 350 mile tube, then everything's down. So one of the other problems uh, when they were in blue sky territory, which I guess was starting to look like dark sky territory at this point. Sure. Um, was, uh, what if we had something like a syringe? Like we're moving air through this tube, but it's pushing this entire column of air and they basically said it would just go too slow unless you built it super big and then it would go too fast, which right. I don't, I don't fully get. Right. Um, because, well, think about it. When you're pushing air, when you're pushing something through a tube, a cylinder, it starts pushing the air ahead of it, which slows it down, right? Yeah. The only way for that to, um, to get away, get around that is to make your little, whatever you're pushing through the tube smaller or make the tube bigger. Right. So he, he looked at all these challenges, you know, the problem with a vacuum, the syringe effect, um, the idea of pneumatics. And it, he, he said, I, th- I think I'm onto something with a closed loop, a closed tube and pushing something through it. So I just got to figure out the details. And he did. And he came up with the hyperloop. And we'll tell you how he solved a lot of these problems, uh, in just a minute. This is it, your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do, too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. What kind of fun is waiting for you at King's Island? The holy cow, we're way too high and here comes the drop kind of fun. The make a splash all summer kind of fun. The I can't believe I ate that whole funnel cake. Let's get another kind of fun. But most importantly, at King's Island, you'll find for the fun of it kind of fun. Don't wait to start your fun season. Kings Island is now open on weekends. All right, so uh, he does not work in a vacuum, even though he works on a vacuum. (laughs) That was terrible. Yes, it was. Uh, but he has a, a great team of brilliant, brilliant people. Um, so he gets his engineers, the same folks who work on the Tesla and the same people at SpaceX. And, uh, I get the feeling that these men and women can kind of do anything. Yes. Uh, when they put their mind to it. So like you said, they propose these two tubes, uh, a northbound line and a southbound line along I-5. And he said, what we want to do is reduce drag and reduce friction. The kind of two things that will slow down something that you want to go super fast. Right. Uh, and if you notice, uh, jets fly really high in the air at high altitudes because it's less dense, so you're going to have less drag. So he said, we can recreate that by uh, manipulating the air pressure in that system in a big, big way. Yeah, by dropping it tremendously. Like hugely. 
So he figured out that you don't have to have a vacuum. Like, sure, a vacuum's nice, but it's just so prohibitively expensive to pump the air fully out of an enclosed system. And all it takes is one little leak and the whole thing's toast, right? So he figured out that you could still get roughly the same effect by lowering the pressure, not to a vacuum, but to super, super low. And what he settled on was um, about 100 pascals of air pressure within the tube. Yes. That's extremely low air pressure. It's something like a sixth of the air pressure on Mars, which is pretty thin. But if you haven't been to Mars, it's actually about a thousandth of the air pressure at sea level on Earth. So it's significantly lower pressure air, which just means the air is thinner, which means things will move through that tube with that low pressure air much more easily with much less drag. Right. So the other point to um, having very, very low but not a full vacuum as far as air pressure goes is even if there was a crack or something in the tube, you can still pump that air. You can overcome it um, by pumping air out a little more, but it's not going to raise your cost to 5 or $10 trillion again because you're not creating a vacuum. And just a little duct tape, and you're all set. Right. So it's a durable system that you can do with existing technology. Right. So you've got your drag um, solved in a way. But then you have the friction problem. Um, what do we put this thing on wheels? Uh, do we want it uh, on magnets? He kind of had already decided against that. So he said, what if uh, we put it on skis and did sort of like they like, and it's a perfect way to describe it in this article, uh, like an air hockey game where these tiny little holes blowing air up from the bottom. Mm-hmm. And that is what makes the, the train not have contact with uh, I guess the track, whatever that would look like. Right. Or the inside wall of the tube. Yeah. So the, the little ski, it, it basically, it, it's like you just said, it floats on a cushion of air, a very, very tiny cushion of air, something like less than half of an inch, I think. So it's just barely above the, um, surface of the tube. But that's all it takes. And you've got a little cushion of air that it floats on. And since it's already thin air, um, it just zooms along as fast as you like with very little drag. So the wind gets under the ski because it's kicked up a little bit in the front. And then amazingly, astoundingly, they also design these skis so that little bursts of compressed air shoot out of the skis to help support that cushion whenever it starts to erode, like, say, at a turn or because it starts to get too hot underneath. Yeah, I mean, ideally you would do this all in a straight line, but um, you just can't do that uh, when you're designing it to go, you know, as as far as from L.A. to uh, San Francisco. Right. Um, so to to get this thing, uh, to, to continue this airflow, because it is a closed system, they have a really, really powerful electric compressor on the front of the pod that pumps air to the back. Yeah, Pretty so amazing. Like, instead of forcing the air to go around it, it, uh, it allows a lot of it to go straight through. And when it gets compressed, again, some of it gets shot to the skis, but a bunch of it gets shot to the back, which helps, um, which helps accelerate it, I think, right? Yeah, but th- it, it, that's not how it gets going. Uh, he had that, you know, the idea with the magnets, he didn't completely discard it. In order to get it started in the, at the beginning of your trip, uh, he does use magnets on the skis. And he gives it, uh, they basically said it provides for the initial shove. This electromagnetic pulse gets it going. And he said, at that point, you're going to feel it when you start from zero, sort of like you're taking off in a plane, basically. But then after that, once you get up to speed, he said, you, you can't even feel like, it doesn't even feel like you're moving, basically. Right. Which is amazing. Do you remember our electricity episode? We were just both so blown away with how electricity is generated yeah like that's what that is so on the actual inside of the um tube you've got a stator right which is basically just a um a a magnet with a groove in it and then attached to the skis on the um on the capsule the pod you've got the rotor and what you when you put them together you have a linear induction motor right so you run one through just like when you run like a coil of copper through a magnet, it generates electricity. If you run uh, metal through a magnet in a in a straight line, it'll also generate electricity. And it, 
when it does that, like you said, that's how they actually accelerate from zero to say 300. Then after you're at 300, you're going through a city, going 300 miles an hour because there's almost no drag whatsoever. You're just coasting. And then as you get out of the city and they step you up to full speed, you go through another linear induction motor. And when this, this, uh, rotor goes through the stator, an electrical charge is created and it's like the tube this is Elon Musk's words. It's like the tube is chasing the capsule and it just speeds it up to 760 miles per hour, about a thousand or so kilometers an hour. And you just coast along fast as you like, uh, going between LA and San Francisco. Yeah. And these, these motors are sort of placed along the way. And I get the feeling that it works in concert with that air. And uh, I mean, it's, it sounds like something from the future, but well, and we'll get to it here in a bit. It's actually, Kind of happening in a way, but um, we won't talk about that quite yet, right? Right. So this sounds very cool as it is. Uh, the actual experience on one of these things, because it's Elon Musk, you know, it's not going to be, uh, you know, like a like a chicken bus. Even though I love a good <laughs> chicken bus, sure, <laughs> we've been on them in Guatemala, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so he wanted to make it a little more posh, uh, obviously. So. What this thing is, it's a pod that holds 28 people. It's got 14 rows of two. Um, there's a little luggage compartment so you can put your junk. Uh, apparently, they're going to design them one day, hopefully, where if you're, I guess, uh, I would imagine it would they would charge you a little bit of dough for this, but you could put your car in it and transport your car as well. Well, they have, that's like he has basically two designs, or he proposed two designs. One's like the regular passenger-only one, then the other's a passenger and a car, which makes a lot of sense because, you know, you're zipping from L.A. to San Francisco just shouting the future. Yeah. But then when you get to the other end, you still need your car. You don't want to rent a car like a no way. regular schmo. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, it should drop you off at like, you know, car rental row. Yeah, I think those would build up around the, the stations for sure. So, um, they, they would take off about every 30 seconds or so, uh, during peak travel time. And you think, man, that sounds dangerous. You got to remember 30 seconds later, this thing's already 23 miles down the loop. Right. So there's a good amount of space in between, even though it's only 30 seconds, which is a benefit of going 300 miles an hour at startup. Uh, and supposedly, and this is the thing that blows me away more than anything else, he said it would be about $20 each way. That's So that's how much you could charge and just break even, I think, is what he was saying. That's crazy. So in other words, it would be $500 a ticket. <laughs> yeah, depending on who actually built it and started operating it, I'm sure. Yeah, and I imagine like you get the the, the romantic notion of being in Los Angeles at at 3:15 and saying I want to I want to hit Napa Valley at happy hour. Mm-hmm. Um I don't think that'll be possible. Like surely this thing will be booked months and months in advance. Well, supposedly they say that the the at the at the 30 seconds I think 30 seconds of departure yeah. is what I'm trying to say at rush hour and then significantly less at other times. Um they say that that is enough in and of itself to account for like the 7 million people a year who travel between San Francisco and LA. Um, I don't know if that's by air. I don't know if that's by air or not, uh, but there's, there was some number that, be more than that. that this number satisfied that um, said it covers everybody who would want it. So I don't know. I wonder if that's, if they're just saying for like business travelers or something, because once you get this thing going, you are going to have people like, I want to have dinner in L.A. tonight. Right. And, and then I want to have dessert in San Francisco. Yeah. You know, I mean, though, if you think about it, it must didn't cover this. I'm I'm riffing here. But if you <laughs> all you would have to do is build another one right next to it or on top of it or right below it. Right. And then, bam, you just doubled doubled how many people can be served by this. He also said that if you need to add more people, that these things could depart significantly faster than um, 30-second increments. Uh, and there's a lot of ways that you could do that, right? So when you are um, – well, let's let's go to the future, Chuck. Does the Wayback Machine go forward? Uh, yeah, just let me recalibrate it here. All right. Beep, boop, beep, boop, beep, boop, beep. All right. Oh, nice. Uh, all right, let's go like, uh, I don't know, 10 years from now. Okay, so here we are, 
we are at the uh, the San Francisco end of the Hyperloop station, right? Oh, I'm dead. So what? <laughs> you're not dead yet. <laughs> oh, okay. that's that's twelve years. Oh, great. Um, the uh, the uh, in the station, you and I are like handing off our baggage to a, a friendly Hyperloop employee, right? Uh-huh. Aren't, aren't they smartly dressed? Yeah, those loopers are on the ball. Uh, they're all wearing silver jumpsuits. Everybody. Uh-huh. Uh huh. So they take our luggage. They put it in a luggage pod, and it's just this. Well, it's just a pod, right? Mm-hmm. And these other guys are uh, loading them up, and they close the luggage pod, and they say, follow us. And we walk alongside the luggage pod, and the luggage pod gets put on a capsule, uh, a, a passenger pod. Yeah. It just kind of like clicks onto the back of it, right? So you've just figured out a problem of getting luggage on board when you're trying to get a thing to depart every 15 seconds, right? Yeah, because, boy, you know how fast that happens on planes. Right, exactly. So you do the luggage ahead of time using capsules that can be taken off and put on. Same with the batteries. And we'll talk a little more about the energy it uses uh, in a little bit. But the the batteries are rechargeable. And so on each journey, they get used and then taken off and new fresh batteries are put on. And then the passengers get onto the, um, the actual passenger compartment with through gold wing doors, which are just cool, sure. right? Oh, yeah. You get in, you take your seat, the gold wing doors close, the luggage compartment has been attached to it, and the new batteries are on, and you're off. You could conceivably do that in 15 seconds if you made everybody <laughs> run and, like, clapped your hands. Well, like I said, anyone who's ever boarded a plane, I think they're they're dreaming if they think that that's going to happen. Yeah, I don't know exactly how they could, but he also says in the white paper that it has to be um, – as safe as TSA, but f- having um, people just streaming on like almost constantly would somehow, in his estimation, make the tra- the screening process faster and more efficient. That I don't understand, but I'm quite sure that whatever TSA is doing could be made more efficient. I, I have total faith in that. It sounds like you'd be in a queue, sort of like a, a roller coaster ride. Yeah, probably. Um and I guess you'd have to have a system where, unless you had, you know, hundreds of these pods lined up, where you had the southbound ones, you know, doing a little uh, U-turn. Right. And then heading back north immediately. Exactly. Yeah, it, like, when it reaches the end, it hits a turntable, turns around, and is aligned with the like other the pod. old streetcars. Yeah. Or like a record. <laughs> I didn't know. I had no, until I rode a streetcar, I didn't know they did that. That was... Uh, that was Kind of blown away by that. Did you get to ride it to the end? Yeah. Oh, wow. Well, no, I think I got on at, at the, its departure point. Mm-hmm. And so, a, you know, a streetcar came down. The the city moved around it, it seemed like. And then, you know, we took off again. What was the streetcar named? Desire. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I had actually one of my best moments of my life on a... Uh, I had been to a bar by myself in San Francisco when Emily and I were traveling. She went back to the hotel. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to stay out and uh, got a little saucy. And then I might have told the story. On the way back, I caught the last streetcar uh, to get back toward my hotel, and I was the only person on it. For wow. the whole entire ride, I had the streetcar to myself going downhill the whole way, and the driver, I was up near the driver, and he kind of talked to me the whole way, and it was like <laughs> as if I were Elvis and I had rented this thing. <laughs> That's your go-to? Yeah, I mean, he's he's the one that used to like... I want to rent out Six Flags, man. <laughs> oh, yeah, he just did do me. that, didn't he? Yeah, oh, yeah right. sure. He'd rent out everything just so he didn't have to be bothered. But you didn't even have to lay out any extra money for that, so. No. Even better. It, it was really great. It was just one, kind of one of those moments. Did you just keep singing the rice Aroni theme song over <laughs> and over to the driver? I did, and he finally kicked me off, and I rolled downhill <laughs> the rest of the way. It was great. Nice. All right, so nostalgic travel memories aside, let's take a break. And I will take a uh, another espresso shot, and we'll finish up here with the Hyperloop. Okay. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity. For yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of. A degree that employers will trust and respect. 
Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. What kind of fun is waiting for you at Kings Island? The holy cow, we're way too high and here comes the drop kind of fun. The make a splash all summer kind of fun. The I can't believe I ate that whole funnel cake. Let's get another kind of fun. But most importantly, at Kings Island, you'll find for the fun of it kind of fun. Don't wait to start your fun season. Kings Island is now open on weekends. So before we left, we didn't quite finish. Um, once you get on this thing, they're only they're a little under seven feet uh, tall. So uh, if you're a tall person or you have claustrophobia, it might not be for you. Well, there's no bathroom on board either. Yeah, there's no bathroom as of yet because you know unless you have like a medical condition, you should be able to hold it for 35 minutes. I yeah yeah. You'd there, have a problem. There would have to be a lot of bathrooms at the station just in case. Well, you couldn't bevy up like you'd like to. No, that's what I'm saying. Um, and then, uh, there, you have your own little, you know, personal entertainment system, of course, to occupy you for the 35 minutes, cause God forbid anyone just be alone with their thoughts. Oh my God. For that long. <laughs> that would make the Hyperloop the most terrifying ride on the planet. And I think that it would make periodic stops along the way too, right? No, um, it, it's like, that's proposed that you could have stations that branch off. Right. I mean, I don't think it would be a lot. There's probably, and there may be an express model, kind of like a subway, but it's not like, you know, we're going to stop in Bakersfield and Modesto. Or maybe we can get a sandwich or something. <laughs> See the site. Yeah, that's what the buses do. <laughs> yeah, this is the opposite of that sentiment. Right. It's just like, just get there. All right. So uh, they ended up talking to um, this guy named Jim Powell, who was, a uh, he was, I think he designed the first maglev train, didn't he? Yes, he was one of the designers. And they just wanted to get his take on it. And he said, well, he's definitely on to something with this uh, closed system. He said, because part of the problem with the maglev is the drag that we get. And he said, but he said, I still think you might have some problems achieving those speeds personally. Um, and ideally, like you're going in a straight line because who knows what it's going to be like going around a curve well, that's for these a big, people. Yeah, that's a big thing. Like it, if you go around a curve at these speeds, you're going to feel the Gs. Yeah. And, and that's not the point of this. It's not to be scary or terrifying. No. What, what they were trying to do was get the um, sensation of Gs to about 0.5. Right. And um, that's like a tenth of like a scary roller coaster's Gs. Um so it's it, it would be something that you wouldn't even necessarily notice unless you're taking a curve. And this is where they deviate from the I-5 median, right? In some cases where I-5 takes a, a bend with a radius of, I think, less than a mile, uh-huh. that's too much of a turn. So the, the um, Hyperloop will actually, the route will just keep going st- straightish right. until it picks up I-5 again. Because if it turns too much... You know, to even more than a mile radius. That's a big, wide swing. Sure. Well, not when you're going that fast. Right. When you are going that fast, you feel it, and you'll just throw up and and um, puke all over your fellow passengers. But they won't care because they'll be puking on you too, and everybody will get everybody else's vomit in everybody else's mouth. Yeah, and they'll go. It was worth it. It was so fast. I love Elon Musk. <laughs> I imagine they could slow it down a bit on those curves too. They'd work it out, you know. Sure. But apparently he is personally guaranteed that um, every passenger that throws up on his Hyperloop, uh-huh. he will be at the station to receive them uh, with a warm towel to clean their face off. <laughs> and he will clean their face off with it and, and then pat them, <laughs> pat their head and tell them it's okay. What a guy. Yeah, he is. 
And then Richard Branson will anoint their feet with oil. <laughs> That's another great guy. I really hope I'm not like digging myself in a hole five, ten years from now where it turns out that, oh, they both enslaved the world together, <laughs> but Josh sure liked them. Right. You know? Kind of the opposite of my Jared Fogel prediction. <laughs> exactly. So, Chuck, another th- another issue that people have raised is, well, like, what about energy consumption? And Elon Musk actually has that pegged. First of all, he's like, there's not a lot of energy you need. Most of this is coasting. Something like 80 or 90% of the, of the actual trip requires no energy whatsoever. Right. The stuff that requires the most energy is the compressor that's on the front of each pod that compresses the air to shoot out to the jets or shoot behind the pod. Yeah. And the personal like entertainment system and lighting on board the pod itself. Yeah. And the rest is, well, like you've got the linear induction motor. That doesn't require any energy. It just requires movement. And again, Elon Musk is going to personally shove off each pod. He's really going to be hands-on in this project, from what I understand. And then um, any other energy sources that are needed can be covered, and then some, by solar arrays that are going to be built on top of the um, Hyperloop tube. So the whole thing, the whole system, will actually capture and generate more energy than it actually uses. Yeah, I mean, this is the guy who invented the Tesla and this battery bank that they're going to be using on solar homes. So I think people would be foolish to try and call him out on energy consumption. Right. So he'll probably be like, they'll just divert some of the electricity to um, power irrigation systems and cropland along the the way. Who knows? You know, or road signs for I-5 saying like, suckers. (laughs) Get out of your car. Yeah. Get in the Hyperloop. (laughs) Uh, All right. So you sent me this uh, article, I think that was from January. It's very recent. Um, called "These Are the First Images of What Will Soon Be the World's First Hyperloop Tube." Mm-hmm. Little wordy, um, <laughs> but there is, uh, like you said, because it was open source, there were a bunch of companies and you know startups mainly that were like, you know, we want to get on this thing uh, because if you get on the Elon Musk train, you know, you're headed for goodness. I think that's what the Hyperloop. Tagline will be. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and so there's this company called Hyperloop One, and they are apparently the sort of out in front on this race so far to make this thing a reality by um, having a, a test site. Uh, where else? In the desert of Nevada. Yeah. It's pretty flat and straight, and you can go real fast. And the only thing out there are buried bodies. Right. <laughs> And once they decompose, you're fine. <laughs> so they have this test site called the Dev Loop, and uh, the only thing I don't—I mean, it's got pictures of it, and it looks exactly what you would think. Like it looks like a tube on mm-hmm. pylons. Mm-hmm. Um, and right now, it's sixteen hundred forty feet long, five hundred meters. Um, but apparently, they're going to top it out for testing at one point eight six miles, mm-hmm. which seems way too short sure. to me. Yeah, for sure. But I think you could probably, like, you probably couldn't test the actual maximum conditions, but you could probably test everything enough to see if, to, to prove mathematically that you could do these, these top conditions. You know what I mean? But it would be like, all right, start test, test over. (laughs) Right. (laughs) What happened? Yeah. No one knows. Uh, I mean, you couldn't even get up to speed at that. Yeah, I, I'm sure. not exactly sure what they're what what they'll be capable of proving with that, but they probably seem, just that the machine can run. I think what they're going to do is prove to the um, United Arab Emirates that it works because right. they're apparently in line to to say yes. If you guys can show that this works, we want one immediately from Abu Dhabi to Dubai, which apparently is a trip that you'd be able to make in about 12 minutes. Normally, it takes two hours or so by car. Yeah, I mean, that that is, when I read that, I was like, well, of course, they're exactly who's going to build the first one of these. Right. They're like, how much is it? We're just joking. We don't care. 
Yeah, exactly. So, so Hyperloop One is, from what I understand, at the forefront of this. There are a number of com- uh, companies and startups that have formed that are um, working on the the project, but Hyperloop One, I think, is at the forefront. So much so that they're not, now they're starting to show off. They've released like um, CGI video of what it'll look like when they drop the Hyperloop underwater. Oh wow! You know, why not do that? Yeah. Um, and you know, they like I said, they've got at least one customer just waiting in the wings, if not more. So, sure. Uh, apparently, they're going to test it this year in the spring or the summer. And man, if it works, like it really would be a revolution in transportation. Yeah. Like it would change everything, especially if it comes even close to that initial cost projection. If it comes even remotely close to that, it, it, you could just say goodbye trains. So long. It was nice knowing you. Yeah. I mean, they'll, 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 they may still have some, but it'll be for like nostalgic tourists. Yeah. I mean, of course, we're talking about hundreds of years in the future when. They had hyperloops on every route in the United States and throughout the world. Sure. Or 50 years from now. <laughs> well, he actually, Elon Musk made a really good point. He said, um, th- this is, this would be really good for medium length travel that, um, f- at these, at these speeds, anything over about 900 miles in distance, you'd actually be better off, uh, with supersonic flight. Yeah, I mean, I could, what I would see them doing is doing, uh, like, you know, Boston to DC and doing up the coast. They would, they would serve the coastal elites as they call them. Right. And forget the rest of the country. <laughs> That's how it always yeah. works. Yeah. Flyover, I guess is what they call it. I don't know what they'll call it when it's a hyperloop. Zoom over. Yeah. V. Zoom past. Sure. <laughs> the one of the other things that people raised, though, I wanted to say real quick was um, safety. And apparently, this is one of the other ways that it's revolutionary is that it's fairly safe. In in ways that other other modes of transport just aren't. One of the main reasons that it's safe is because it's an enclosed capsule, which means that you take weather out of the fa- out of the um, the the uh, equation. Yes. <laughs> You're not very good at math. No. Uh, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, and the, the, each car I think is going to be equipped with brakes, like mechanical brakes and wheels. So like if something happens, if the whole thing loses pressure, uh, they, you can just drive along. Yeah. I wonder if you would have to be strapped in. Um, yes. Oh, you would? Mm-hmm. Okay. Cause I imagine going from 700 miles an hour to zero, if one of the other ones is stopped in front of you, uh, you, that would be a pretty, pretty quick braking yes so the air pressure sensors would control the brakes on each car so the um like yeah if one of them started to stop or something or the whole or the the thing started to lose air pressure the system started to break down all the cars would be directed to put on their brakes wow and the other thing i thought this was pretty interesting too if you had like a medical emergency on on board one of these things Uh um Elon points out that uh, it, you'd just be better off completing the the route and then having EMS waiting for you when you got off That'd because be it would than be anything else. Yeah, way quicker. Yeah, so you just sit there and hang on, <laughs> stay <laughs> away from the light. Wow! Until you got to San Francisco or LA. So earlier on, I talked about his boring company. Uh, that it was a very purposeful play on words. Um, and like I mentioned earlier, when Elon Musk gets aggravated, things start happening. Mm-hmm. He was in, uh, I think it was late last year in December, he was in traffic. And he literally just tweeted out that he was in traffic. And uh, he said, literally said this, traffic is driving me nuts. I'm going to build a tunnel boring machine and just start digging. Sad. Oh, did he say <laughs> sad, really? No. Oh, thank goodness. Uh, and people thought, you know, all right, Elon Musk just fired off a tweet about something. So we, we know he's not one to just shoot his mouth off. No. Um, cause he, he backs up what he says in most cases. And he has done this. What he's trying to do is build this tunnel boring machine that would increase tunneling speed by, he said, between 500 and 1000%. Uh, and the idea is to go down. He's basically like, if we want to improve traffic, you can go up or you can go down. We're already too dense to keep 
building roads, basically. Mm-hmm. And he said, going up isn't a great idea, I guess, because I'm going to have my Hyperloop up there. Um, so he said, I'm going to start digging. So right now they have dug under SpaceX uh, a test trench. And this is this is December. This is like three months later. They've already got a test trench that's 30 feet wide, 50 feet long, and 15 feet deep that runs under SpaceX. And uh, he's he's sees a future, basically. And it's problematic in cities because there's already a lot going on underground. Uh, but basically, he envisions a future where they have these incredible tunnels that are dug very, very fast uh, beneath cities where you could have highways, um uh, trains and they even asked him, are you going to put, are you going to combine your hyperloop through these underground tunnels? And he just tweeted back, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I guess he, you know, was just being a little coy there. Yeah. I took it more like maybe. <laughs> he should have done ellipse question mark then. <laughs> right. And then fingers crossed sign. Right. We know what he means. Um, I got one more thing, man. So the hyperloop was foreseen, predicted back in 1965. Did you know that? What? That doesn't surprise me, some science fiction writer. Yep. And actually, a science science fiction comic strip guy um, <laughs> who, his name was, this this name is amazing, Athelstan Spillhouse. <laughs> wow. Yeah, pretty good name, right? He decided to create a comic strip back in the 60s called Our New Age because he wanted to get American kids interested in science to keep up with the Ruskies, right? And in one of the comic strips, he basically talks about the Hyperloop, this this pod carrying passengers floating on air, traveling at hundreds of miles an hour within a tube to solve traffic jams. It's just, it was, it's like the Hyperloop. It's pretty cool. I, I, for some reason, thought there would be like ten different comic books that did this. It just seems like back then that would be such a sort of obvious thing to to do. Yeah, I guess so. But yeah. hey, maybe it was it was just Spillhouse, just Athelstan Spillhouse. It sounds like a, a sounds like Evil Simpsons character or something that would come into town to do something bad. I'd like to hear Sylvester the Cat say that name. <laughs> <laughs> you got anything else? Nope. Okay. Well. Uh, everybody, let's um, apply some pressure on Elon Musk to get some dog seats made for cars, okay? Yes. Help me out. Uh, if you want to know more about the Hyperloop, type that word in the search bar at HowStuffWorks.com. And since I said that, it's time for Administrative Details. All right. Uh, if you don't listen to the show ever, maybe we should set this up. Uh, every once in a while, we get nice gifts from people and more and more from companies. <laughs> uh, and we like to read them on the air every few months Just as to a say thank you. Thanks. Yeah. yeah. Uh, in a, in a little weirdly, awkwardly titled segment called Administrative Details. You know, I came up with that name. I know. It's the worst, but I love it. <laughs> it is pretty bad, isn't it? Yeah. So uh, here we go with our special. Is the music already queued up? Oh, yeah. All right. Here we go with Didn't administrative details. Uh, we want to thank Matt and Kim of uh, Mincing Mockingbird Art and Design Company. They sent a book of his painting plus some really fun uh, journal-type notebooks. They look like uh, they look like these vintage journals. But mm. then it says things like dope rhymes, or my favorite one was strange ideas and impure thoughts. <laughs> yeah. And I love a good journal, so they were really cool. Yeah, thanks a lot for that, you guys. I want to give a special thanks to Tyler Murphy, our buddy. Murph. He uh, likes to send me Highlander Grog coffee. <laughs> and um, it's been so long since we did administrative details, he's actually sent me two packages so far. Whoa. So thanks for both of them, Tyler. Uh, Will and Dave from Bully Boy Distillers in Boston sent us... Well, they sent us a bunch of booze, mm-hmm. uh, some rum and some gin. Um, seems like there was one other thing in there. It was a um, oh, the old uh, fashioned, old fa- pre made old fashioned, bully old fashioned. Did you have mm-hmm. that? I bet. Yes. Was it good? Yes, it was. Uh, they were apparently the first craft distiller in Boston since Prohibition times, and they wow. opened up 
in 2010. So thank you, Bully Boy Distillers. Yeah, um, thanks to Taylor Newton for the awesome stoked socks. Did you get some of those? Uh, no. Dude, I've been rocking those. They're like super 80s, just pop art socks that have like, <laughs> like they're teal blue with lots of pink um, palm trees all over them, stuff like that. You know, they're, they're like something uh, DJ Jazzy Jeff would have worn back in the day. Well, you love your wacky socks, so it's yes. perfect. Yep. Uh, thank you, Sarah Austin. She sent us some fine leather work. Nice. Uh, thank you, Mark Hicks and family, for the very nice Christmas card. That was nice of you guys. Uh, Colin Flahive, Flahive, um, interesting name, Dali, D-A-L-I Bars, from Kunming, China. That's mm-hmm. what they uh, sent us. And a book uh, called Great Leaps. Nice. Thanks, cute. Thanks, dudes. <laughs> uh Karen Johnson's. Every once in a while, somebody will find something or just come across some weird article and and be like, Josh and Chuck would love this. And they nail it every time. And Karen Johnson was one of those people. She sent us a series of articles about the dreaded outhouse peeper who uh, kept Montana in his grip of fear in 1987. Oh, wow. Yeah, thanks for those articles. Uh, Bob Ticknor of Wayback W-E-Y-B-A-C-H, Wayback Guitars, mm-hmm. um, which are handmade here in Atlanta. He sent T-shirts. <laughs> and that was my way of building up suspense that nice. he sent me a guitar. Uh, huge thanks to Norell, who gave us a bounty of Australian candy, and thanks to a lesser degree for the tube of Vegemite. <laughs> uh, Snowdrop Gin. Uh, thank you, Tim. From Saxton's River Distillery in Vermont for the Snowdrop Gin. Nice. Is that good? Delicious. Uh, we got a uh, another Christmas card, a handmade Christmas card from the Hoy family in Normal, Illinois. It was very normal. <laughs> uh, Adam Pobiak, he's a screen printer and graphic artist, and he sent, remember those awesome Repo Man posters? Mm-hmm. Those were very sweet, so thanks, Adam, for those. Yep. Uh, Cyrus Amon, or Amon, I never asked him how to pronounce his name. He interviewed me for his site. He's got a really cool site where he just interviews people he likes. Um, and his, it's C-Y-R-U-S-A-M-A-N.com. And he, just a total class act, just to say thanks for the interview, sent some homemade chocolate chip cookies that were amazingly delicious. So thanks, Cyrus. Uh, we got an assortment of shrubs, uh, like drinking shrubs, not mm-hmm. for the lawn, uh, from shakerandspoon.com. Oh, those are good guys. They're advertisers with us now, too. Oh, well, fantastic. Yeah. Thanks, thanks everybody over there. Uh, and speaking of booze, uh, where would we be if we didn't thank our good friends at Crown Royal yes. for always keeping us wet? <laughs> they sent us, not only did they give us some XR, which is like really, really, really good um, whiskey. Uh, it's almost like cognac-y whiskey. It's so good. Um they made us personalized velvet bags, like Crown Royal bags, that have our names on it, so we can say, that's mine. <laughs> uh, Sally Franklin, she works for Crown Publishing Group. They sent us uh, a couple of great books about uh, women in science, one called Women in Science, mm-hmm. and one called Headstrong, 52 Women Who Changed Science in the World. Good stuff. And they are on our bookshelf here at work now, and uh, everyone like reads all these things, so it's great. Yep. Um, Alex Kurnow sent us some amazing prints of states uh, that his fiance makes. They're just beautiful and super kind of old-timey looking. They, they just have a nice look to them. Um, and you can find them at Stampily, S-T-A-M-P-I-L-Y, on Etsy. So go check those out. And thanks, Alex. Uh, Skyla Brown, S-K-I-L-E, sent us her book, To Stay Alive. Uh, she said that we inspired her with our episode on the Donner Party. Mm-hmm. And she actually researched and wrote a book about it. Nice. Yeah, it was great. Um, wow, we inspired a book. That's wonderful. Yeah. Um, Kaori from Tokyo, who uh, sent us a beautiful holiday card. Just gorgeous. And some wonderful origami stars. So thank you very much. Uh, our friend Jamie Buckner is a filmmaker and sent us a DVD copy mm-hmm. of the indie film that he made called Split. Nice. Uh, which is available also on your video on demand and Amazon and iTunes if you want to check that out. Split. Uh, Matt Drager sent us some homebrewed beer. Thank you, Matt. Raymond, Bisinger, Beisinger, Beisinger. <laughs> All three of them. Uh, they sent some really cool poster prints. These are the ones 
Uh, and I really love this stuff. They sent Atlanta in 1871 to me and Toledo in 1876 yeah. to you. And yep. uh, you know how I love my maps. And these are uh, – you can find his work – at uh, 15, spelled out, F-I-F-T-E-E-N dot C-A. Yep. Uh, the last one for me for today is uh, from Doug Frumpkin. Thank you, Doug, for sending us coins from the Nuclear Regulatory Commission. Who knew? I'm assuming that they're not irradiated. <laughs> uh, and my last one, and we're going to continue this on our next episode, um, Kevin from drawkevindraw.com sent us hand-printed note cards made from soy ink, and they were quite lovely. Nice. So well, thanks. thanks, everybody. Yeah, thanks a million, everyone. Keep them coming, huh? Absolutely. Uh, and if you want to get in touch with us, you don't actually have to send us anything. You can just say hi if you like. You can tweet to us at, I'm at Josh underscore um underscore Clark and at SYSK Podcasts. Chuck's on Facebook.com slash Charles W. Chuck Bryant and at Facebook.com slash Stuff You Should Know. You can send us an email to stuffpodcast at howstuffworks.com. And as always, join us at our home on the web, stuffyoushouldknow.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit howstuffworks.com. Life in our modern age comes at you pretty fast, which makes our time away especially valuable. When I take time to relax, I like to get far from my everyday life, immerse myself in natural beauty, and have unique experiences. But you don't have to leave the U.S. to experience tropical rainforests and islands filled with adventure, warm culture, and national treasures. Visit Puerto Rico, an island with a vibrant spirit that will sweep you away. Because when you visit, you don't become part of the island, it becomes part of you. In Puerto Rico, you can forget where you came from and embrace where you are. Puerto Rico, where visits end, but stories last forever. No passport required for U.S. citizens and permanent residents. Learn more and plan your trip at discoverpuertorico.com. What kind of fun is waiting for you at King's Island? The holy cow, we're way too high and here comes the drop kind of fun. The make a splash all summer kind of fun. The, I can't believe I ate that whole funnel cake. Let's get another kind of fun. But most importantly, at Kings Island, you'll find for the fun of it kind of fun. Don't wait to start your fun season. Kings Island is now open on weekends.